scenario scenario. If I just did this, the inning would have been different. If I would have did this, that inning would have been different for sure. Because it's small parts throughout the game that change the course of the game that nobody even understands. Welcome back to the Compound Podcast. This is episode 25, 25, milestone episode. We're a quarter of the way to 100, guys. Are we going to get to 100? I just made up a milestone right there. I was going to say, I was like, I don't know if 25 is really a milestone. I made it up. I think it is. Also, this episode is presented by Parse Rum. Uh, I forgot to say that at the beginning. Presented by Parse Rum. I'm very excited for our guest this week. It is hitting coach Anthony Iaposi, and he will be our second guest that gets a bottle of Parse. I uh, I shared some Parse last night with a friend of mine. He was very eager to try it. He wanted to try it before he ordered some. He had a lot of it, and he will be ordering some 12-year. Look at you selling Parse. That's me. You know, Love to see that, Zachary. That's your life in a nutshell. You're, you're pedaling out Parse out of the trunk of your car. You know it. Racking up the miles. Last week, we said we would give away three Is That So t-shirts, correct? We, I believe we did. Dakota, I'm yep. going to need you to tell me who gets the t-shirts. I'm going to be honest. I only found one on all of Twitter worthy of a t-shirt because the rest, I'll say it, they stunk. I, there wasn't that many, and they stunk. It sucked because the first, the one we did last week was so much better. Well, who says no is so much easier to use. Like, yeah. is that so is kind of hard to use without like, like I saw some that were just like too big of chops on like the Brewers or like other teams or like other people. Like it was just like kind of too mean, and I was just like, I can't. Let I'm that. Not, you know, yeah, I'm not going to repeat that one. Yeah. But really, the only one I saw was from Mackenzie Anderson at Mac underscore Anderson 2. She said, at Ian Hab liked my tweet with my review for the Who Says No contest, and then she still didn't win. Is that so? Yeah, it's kind of that's kind of messed up on your Basically, party. If Ian Hab likes your tweet, you're like, oh, I'm golden. That's it. I got a shirt coming my way. Like, she was locking it in already, and you kind of, you know, you didn't give it to her, Ian. That's on you. That is on me, but you know, I like to see I like to see the fans out there following along, tweeting, and I I like to send my appreciation via the like of a tweet. I I do too. I saw what was the one? Oh, I, I like the tweet. We saw we got some tweet. This has nothing to do with is that so? But we had someone tweeted us the other day. Like there's like a question on, question on Twitter that said like, would you slap your most recent at for a million dollars? And I was somebody's most recent at. I mean, I would hope you'd slap me for a million dollars. I would, I, I'd, I'd get, I'd pretty, I'd get pretty close to killing Zach for a million dollars. You could just wear the slap and ask for like a hundred k of that. For for a million dollars, you can knock me out. I don't care. Like, you just give me like fifty k of it. Dakota, I'd do it for free. I'd slap you for free. That's just kind of rude. I wouldn't slap you for free, man. You're my friend. All right, and friends don't do that. Okay. Free, Where's that? Heard of it? We're gonna find a couple of those. Uh, is that so on on the Twitter? Well, you're not Ian. I look. I'm gonna find a couple, and we're gonna we're gonna give a couple more t-shirts. We had our one guy, our one guy Charlie, yelling at obvious shirts for the the shipping label, and he said, "Is that so?" You know, I respect obvious shirts that they just were like, you know what, we'll refund the shirt. Exactly. Hey, but hand up, hand up. One thing I'll say about obvious shirts: heavy into the Twitter game. When I when, when there's a Cubs game going on, it's my timeline is obvious shirts all the way down, and I love it. They're, They're all, watching the game, looking for their next shirt. Exactly. 
Shout out oh. obvious shirts. Shout out obvious shirts. I guess we should uh, talk for a second about the Cubbies. The fact that uh, Cubbies just lost a couple games in a row. I, you know what is a really good thing is that it is August sixteenth, and the Cubbies have now lost their first series of the year. Exactly. Zach, would you say that in any way you are worried for the Chicago Cubs right now? Hey, Dakota, what do we do? What am I doing right now? What do we do? We flush the series down the drain and we move on to the next one. Who you guys got tomorrow? The Cardinals? We got five games in three days against the Cardinals. You know what that sounds like to me? Chance to win five games in three days. Who says no? That is exactly right. You know know what we should talk about for a second before Post gets on here? Is we should talk about seven-inning doubleheaders and how awesome they are. I remember you said something. We were in triple ball last year when you were like, we played a doubleheader, and you're like, oh, playing seven innings. I'll tell you one thing. Rossi has been thrown into a tough season for, like, your first managerial season. Like, doubleheaders are sevens. That's a completely different management style. Extra innings, guy on second base is like, what do we do now? Like, do we bunt? Do we not bunt? Like, does he steal? Like, and This, was, this wasn't, like... In the offseason, you know, you had time to prepare for this and think about lineups. It was like a month ago. Hey, by the way, extra innings. There's a runner on second. Go get them. Especially the lineup-wise, getting everybody in. Like, I feel like no one really has just sat there for, like, six straight games and not even sniffed in a bat. Like, obviously not everyone plays consistently, but I feel like he's done a good job of trying to keep everyone ready for when they need you in a big spot. And, and you know, it, it makes things easier like that when you have someone like Souza you know, who doesn't play much and comes in and have huge ABs, Kip. I'll tell you one thing about the Souza at bat. The I think it's the best thing in the world. I'll give you guys a little secret here. Not really a secret. But swinging at the first pitch a reliever throws is just like, it's the smartest thing in the world to me. Because no reliever is going to come in and try to start down 1-0. Because typically, if you're coming into a big spot, you're like, okay, I want to get ahead. Like, I don't want to walk this guy. Or you yeah. come in with the guys on, like you want to get ahead right away. And I mean, it might be off speed. Like there's tendencies guys have, but swinging first pitch. I love that. You're definitely going to get, yeah, you're definitely going to get, you're trying to get ahead. Oh, one. It'll probably be the best pitch you see all of that. Right. There, you know, you're going to nibble obviously, but you're not going to go, you know, you're not going to be from line to line, but exactly. Can we talk just for a minute about seven inning double headers? We didn't even talk at all, but I tried to say like, let's talk about seven inning double headers. We don't get one. Thing. Okay. Sorry, sorry. We we brought our talent into this and switched things up on you. Sorry, we were just rolling. Yeah, our bad. our bad. After we have after we have post on, we'll talk about seven inning doubleheaders. <laughs> I'm coming back to seven inning doubleheaders. All right, we have hitting coach Anthony Iposti joining shortly. Post, I have to say that you've probably been the biggest proponent of the compound podcast since it started. I, I am, bro. I listen to it. I laugh my, my ass off. And by the way, Shorty, that's a real painting behind me in the apartment. It's not some cow with horns or whatever it was. Post, you you are a podcast guy through and through, though. You listen to multiple podcasts. Every day uh, when I'm working out or at the apartment while I'm working. You would just send random quotes of our podcast to me just out of nowhere. You're now getting a bottle of Parse rum because you're a guest on, on, the, on the podcast presented by Parse rum. But sure, he already got his, right? Yeah, I got it. Unfortunately. It was actually great content when he just continued to not get it for like two weeks. I was like a little kid going outside to check every day on my front porch, and it was just nowhere to be found. Post, can you talk a little bit about the dugout atmosphere? Yeah, dugout atmosphere is good. You, you hear it from other teams. Um, you hear it from people who are watching on TV. I think Tony, Tony Riz leads that. I'm probably the most 
thing I look forward to during the day is actually not working with major league hitters. It's listening to Tony Rizzo's walk up song, Tony Two Chains. Like I Tony Two Chains. Yeah, I just can't wait. Everybody's you know tapping and clapping, and you got the little one like you do yours. Hey, and but it's it's pretty good. Some other songs are picking up. On a Bodie had some guys clapping today. Wilson's got the clapping. So we we got to be able to do stuff to pick each other up when there's no fans in the in the stands and, and actually has some fun. I mean, when his song comes on, you guys are usually, even with fans, right? You guys do, or the, the fans do a little something at least, right? Yes. You know what comment Jason made? Jason Hayward, I think yesterday, he said, what people don't realize is that we do this, not maybe to this extreme, but we do this in the dugout every year. It's just a little bit more pronounced now that there's not as much crowd noise and we're taking it a step farther just to continually bring the energy because you have to do it for all nine innings. Like if you have to be involved in the game or else there's zero energy in the entire stadium. Yeah. If you, if when I was roving in 2015 and you'd go to Wrigley field, like the, all I looked forward for was sitting in the dugout, listening to David Ross and Bussy. And then everybody, they would just lead the way and Travis Wood and everybody would just go, go crazy. So that's, that's still going on today. It's just more pronounced because, Everybody could hear it in the stands, but the dugout was still still pronouncing some energy. You gave Riz credit, but really you should be given a ton of credit for the dugout. I don't know. Like I'm right in the front. I can't really see what's behind me. So but you don't stop the whole game. I'm just so focused on the hitters. It's it's hard to balance both. How many bats do you get a day? As many a, a minimum of twenty seven. Yeah, minimum twenty seven. <laughs> so the failure rate is just out of control. It's like thirty. Added average, so it's it, it's not it's not the at bats because I understand. Like when I got into coaching, I knew I wasn't hitting anymore, so I never took offense. Like if we didn't hit or didn't score runs, like it was my fault. Like I'm not playing, right? You prepare the players and you provide the atmosphere, and then they they got to go do their thing. So what I don't like is getting yelled at by the players when they have bad at bats. That I don't like. It's always your fault. You're the guy who's supposed to fix everyone. You're yeah. supposed to make everybody good. Yeah, you, you know, you hear the ones, nobody wants to help me from somebody, and you never help me from another person. So, and then you spend all night digging, finding the kind of tracks and the video, and you got stats, and you're ready to present this thing. And then somebody will go, You know what it was, Pope? It's my big toe. It wasn't in the ground right. Or my Like, what? Do you know how much time I just spent on you last night? And it's your big toe. Yeah, don't worry about the other stuff. Okay, thanks. Hat, what was it in spring training? I said like I was like, oh, Post has the best job in the world, and you were you looked at me like I had six heads. You were like, what? His job is miserable. If you're a big league hitting coach, you're miserable every night because every somebody always has a bad game. I don't, I don't, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it. I think it's a challenging job. I don't think it's you know people talk about the hitting coach being the toughest job. It's challenging, you know, because there's, there's so many things you have to cover. And that's why you need help in the cages or, you know, definitely Nate, who does a tremendous job. And what he does wouldn't be able to get anything done without him or Sledge or or, or Peeps. So you definitely for, need for the listeners. Nate is Nate is offensive video strategy. Uh, copy scouting. Uh, Sledge is our assistant hitting coach. PP is an assistant hitting coach. All right, yeah. continue. Yeah. So, you know, we're in a couple of different angles. And the thing that I like about. Um, the group is that it certain players don't have to necessarily go with certain coaches like some other places. Like you guys are so self-efficient. It's like we know each other's routines. 
if I'm not able to get in there, in there with you, somebody will pick that up and it's not going to be that big of a deal. And that that's, that's the fun part of it. But that's the stuff you try to create and make players accountable to be able to do that stuff. Cage flow. Cage flow is big because you don't want to get backed up. And I rushed you. I rushed Schwab the other day. He's like, slow down, man. Your flips are like 100 miles an hour. I'm not even ready yet. And so I said, sorry, man. I saw a hat behind you, and I'm trying to get it over with so he can get in here and the next guy can come in. So the cage flow is big because from my perspective, you don't get to see it while you're hitting, but that your teammates – you're taking a long time or just go, here we go again, you know, and drop the hands and they do this with their hands up in the air. So I start speeding up to get the next player out when I should be like really focusing on their swing. (laughs) (laughs) All the little things that happen, we talk about this a lot, but all the little things that happen over the course of a day, whether it's in the cage, in the dugout, people don't get to see all these little things. Mm-hmm. But they're they're real. There's so many little things that go into a day of baseball. And the cage is hilarious. Just if you were to sit in there for the three or four hours before a game that you guys are down there and see all the little things that happen, like one guy will take 200 swings. One guy takes five swings. It gets backed up where there's two or three guys waiting to hit. You got guys rolling out down there, different video of the pitcher and like different guys thoughts on how they're going to attack the pitcher that day. There's just so much that goes on in the cage and post hates the cage. Yeah. It's where careers go to die, man. You know, both coaches and players are just maxing it out out there when it needs to be done on the field. I just like sledge gets his steps and his steps have gone up tremendously this year from last year. You know, when somebody banged out a BP or is not playing and then it's like, okay, who's going to be upset if they're not in group two that got moved up from group three or who's not in group one. And, it's just like, I don't even go by the BP shell anymore. I just sit on the side. The social distancing has helped me stay away from uh, the, the batting practice. So I just sit against the net by the on-deck circle and watch. I like that you don't make the groups. Yeah. No. No. Sledge, sledge takes a lot off of my plate, man. Like, the iPads is a thing. Running up there to, to get now to give them to you before the game. Doing the groups. There's just too much ground at the, at the new, new the last few years at Wrigley. You're running all over the place. So, and then also times so you, if you ask guys in front of people, you know, hey, you're going to hit today, but deep down side, they don't want to, but they're among their peers and they're like, look around and go, yeah, I'll hit, but they really don't want to. You know, I'd rather a player just be comfortable throughout the day than try to force his work. Nothing, nothing good ever comes out of that. You know, never. Like what you said no. about the cage, you know, where, it's like you hate the cage. I feel like, you know, you need make that mood just so much lighter when you go into the cage. It's not a daunting place where you're trying to figure something out every single day. You know, if somebody's struggling, even if you're going hot, you know, like, hey, what do I have to fix today? You know? Yeah. You, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to get better at it. Right. It's just like anything you do. Like, I don't like running. So I'm not going to get better at it. Just as an example, you know, so if you're not enjoying it and you don't really want to go to the cage and it's not in a good environment where at least guys are at least hanging out. So I, I, I want... But I learned from the players. Like, I'm not the specialist. The player is the specialist. The player is the genius. You know, I'm just helped to guide a direction where they need to go. And there's a time and a place for everything. Like we're bust out. We watch the the green and blue, blue and red stick figures, right? And we're talking about the swing. We're talking about mechanics. There's a time and a place for everything. There's also a time and place where you want that player to get in and get out because as soon as he hits one bad one. He starts going places you don't want him to go. So, you know, you tend to you know, stay positive and get him out of there. And then, because he's got other things he's got to do throughout the day than just hit. You got to lift, you got to run, you got to study the pitcher, you got to do your defense. So, at least the 15 minutes the guy's in the cage, whether he has a successful day or not, um, 
he at least has an enjoyable talk. But it's also, it's also for me, like the team that we have, like really relieve a lot of sh- stress and not baseball stress, but like being away from your family, the uncertainty of making the schedule every day during, during the COVID, who has it, who doesn't. So a lot of questions are like, Ian does a good job. All, all the players do a good job checking in on me, which helps me uh, go about my day. Because you, as a hitting coach, you never know how anybody feels about you. Because it's always negative. Whenever right. anybody comes to you, it's always bad. It's a bad swing. We got put out. This guy shoved again. So it's never you never know if you're you're doing a good job. No, so, you know, when somebody tells you, you're quick to bounce it off. You're like, oh, okay, whatever. All right, where's the punchline? You're saying half hasn't came up to you and thanked you for his hot start yet? No, I did a hot start. It's a great start. Hot starts like try back and sit like 480 or something like that, didn't he? Yeah, that's a hot start. True. Basically, Hap, you're not doing that great. Hap is a good start. It's a really good start to the season. How how do you go about hitting 500 this far into the season? It's not that far. What I mean, saying, 20 games in. Who's hitting 500 for 20 games? Didn't he hit 400? He's got enough hits by now that he's good for the rest of the season. He can shut it down and still hit 300. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> you start uh, math and subtracting the numbers in your room. Oh, post who's. Who's the most unique hitter you've ever had? The hitter I'm working with at that time. That's a, that's a horseshit answer. <laughs> what, about, what about the craziest craziest cage routine? Craziest cage? There's not. Was it was a guy? I mean, not a big leaguer, but a guy named Vasily Spanos in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, if you ask uh, any of the Cub guys who played against him, it, he was he took like five swings a day with one ball would hit it and go pick it up and, and get it back. And he hit like 300 for the Jupiter hammerheads that year with about 10 homers uh, in the big leagues. There, I don't think there's it's it, amazing. So Spanish um, unique. I don't think there's any really unique things. I think you get concerned when you see a player just change his whole thing and he can't hit balls like in flips, but he thinks it's great. That's like the real challenging part about coaching. Like, how long do I wait to, you know, get on this guy? Because, you know, as a coach, if you talk to the player too soon, you lose him forever. It's such a long season. Sometimes as a coach, you got to lose a couple battles to win the war. Um, so you got to make him comfortable to have uncomfortable conversations later. Um, I don't know, man. It's, there's so many. I mean, just in the big leagues with two teams and being a coordinator, it's like 600 professional players you were in a cage with. It's not what about a player that you learned the most from in your big league time? I'd have to say Adrian Beltre. Um, was he good at baseball? Yeah, he was pretty good. Played a long time. I'm Go sure he had hits. a few good starts. Played her a lot. Actually, no. He, he, I think the first year in 16, he had a good start. He was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I never – but I, he's probably the only player I've never seen get flustered or um, panic in the cage. Like he has bad days where he's pulling off and everything's in the pull sides on the ground and the ground. And then he'll just hit a couple of line drives and just thanks Anthony. And he gets out where, you know, like as everybody else is usually like freaking out, even some, some really good hitters that, are, that, you know, that, that have been around, they just kind of panic. What's wrong? Where I go, I can't do this. I usually do this. Um, he's pretty much the only guy that could walk out, like not, not worried and go in the game and compete his butt off. You've told me some cool stories about him, and I think the one that stuck with me the most is he would come up to you some days and be like, I just have to hit four ground balls to second base. Yeah, he would have to hit four ground balls to second base. Um, there were times where I was like, hey, we don't need you to get the runner over. He was like, no, I'm getting the runner over. You know, you're such a team guy. And there was one time he came in, he's like, because he would always yell, 
but that's the way he talked. It wasn't, he was yelling at you. He'd be like, hitting coach. I'm like, yes, Adrian, yes, Cap. And he's like, what's wrong with my swing? I said, I don't know. I don't have any hits in the big leagues. You got 3,000. What are you asking me for? He's like, you're right. That's why you're a good coach. Why, why am I asking you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, I, I, I like, I like Riz's routine. That's something different I've never done with Riz, the slow flips. But his, I wish parents on the amateur side can see what you guys do behind the curtain because it's the complete opposite of the training that's happening on the amateur side, you know? Um, how everybody does high T, Riz puts it out of his neck, whatever it may be. Guys are working usually from the top down. Um, now what I've noticed more because of the elevated fastball, it's been the, high, the, the most it's ever thrown. So a lot of the guys I've noticed have worked down, up to down um, in their routine starting at the top of the zone. So um, do you think depends. Do you think people would be surprised if they were able to watch cage routines or on-field early work with a guy like Riz and see just the discipline and that every ball isn't smoked? Like there's yeah. no like there's nobody with a radar gun trying to see how hard the balls are being hit off the tee. Or I think people would be amazed at just some of the routines and like the effort level that exists in the work. I think the effort level is the big one because the, the cage or your routine in the beginning, you have to be able to be under control because the game, the adrenaline and the speed of the game is going to make you swim faster. So when you gangster hack and flips all the time, you're definitely going to be underneath the ball in the game. I mean, the swing is just going to go too fast, but even they would definitely be surprised. Even somebody like KB who hits the ball in the air a ton and hits some skyrocket homers. I mean, he's a high flip guy, you know, starting out. He wants, he wants them at his chest. So because he knows he's got to get a little bit more direct to the ball and, and get get underneath it, you know, at post through contact. So, but they would definitely be surprised. I I I tell people that all the time when I speak in the winter at some camps or dinners about things that I see how intentful. It's not what a guy does; it's how he does it. You know, because there's so many different routines. There's no, or else you're going to create a one trick pony lineup or organization. So it's not what the what the drill does. When you meet a major league player, you should be asking them like why and how they are doing it, not what drill they're doing. That's the most important thing, or else everybody would do the same drill. It's crazy. What's the biggest difference between being a coordinator and being with the team for a full season? Winning. You know, like you're, you're establishing the winning culture in the organization, but you're not on a team. So you miss, you miss the, the dugout stuff, and as soon as you're in town for four days, you're off to the next city. So you're not really part of a team. So in, as soon as you join the team in the big leagues, it's all about the – it's all about the win, you know, and, and trying to create dugout camaraderie for 162 games, have the, the cage floor and everybody get along. But um, also, like as a coordinator, you, you go in, a guy gets a couple hits, you go out, you look great. <laughs> but you don't really do anything, you know. The season where the guy's look like dying in the cage and, and on the field and he just can't get any hits, you know. So his back elbow, and then someone else is calling you. You know, his big toe looks out of place again. You better set that straight. I'm like, yeah, thanks, guys. When I came into the organization in 15, you were the minor league hitting coordinator. And I remember I remember being in maybe instructs or I don't know that probably instructs that year or, or finishing up in South Bend and being like, God damn it, help me. Like I I'm not good enough. Yeah. Like my swing's not good enough yet. And you would just you just be like, no, you're good. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. 
And I now looking back, I really appreciate that you're like, no, you're good enough. Just go work it out. Like you're a long way away. You don't have to fuck around with everything right now. But at the time I was like, damn it, PK won't help me. <laughs> I, I always had a saying in minor leagues, like, no, I'm saying like what Ian said, that's like the worst thing to hear. They're like, no, you're good. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. You're like, no, I, I don't feel good. It's not right. Yeah. But then it, then it becomes into like desperation practice, right? You won't get better domination practice, not desperation practice. Then, then you start tinkering, which is fine because you got to tinker at certain times, but like that's definitely wasn't the time, you know, I want to prepare, I want to study that. So this way when we present it, we have a clear cut idea of what we want to do and go in the cage. And then you could just, you know, feel yourself and feel your rhythm, and feel your flow without me talking. Cause like, you know, you gotta, you gotta respect that time for the player to work it out by himself. So it does no good if I was, especially on the minor league side, you're, you're there for them. I never wanted a player to um, rely on me, but let them know I'm going to be there with you and whatever you need, you know, cause then up here, you got to make decisions. You're in the batter's box by yourself. It's not like football where there's a 12 men are working together or an NBA alley-oop or a hockey team. Like you're in there with your own thoughts. If you can't control your thoughts and what you're trying to do, it doesn't matter how good your swing is, right? So you got to be able to manage both. It's such a balance. So um, really teaching that stuff first and then getting after the swing. But you guys are drafted for a reason, you know, because you are good. And I would always say, let's see if he can figure out the league before we start throwing stuff at him because anybody could look at the video of Kenan Tracks and go, this needs to fix. This does not happen in the big leagues. Like you just don't know if he's going to make those adjustments on his own, which is what you want first. Then it's time to to step in and, and do whatever you think it needs to be done for the player. Bodie one day said, he started talking. He was like, my swing is my swing is my swing is my swing, which made total sense to me. Like, why am I consistently trying to make these adjustments? This is my swing. Let me figure out how to refine it year after year and get it tighter and shorter, but really have a really good understanding of what pitches I could hit and do damage with, what pitches I don't until two strikes. And then I just surrendered to two strikes and battle grind and persevere. So and players are from all over the world. Like, so when I was in Texas, I think at one point we had eight guys from eight different countries on, on the field at one time on our field and the team. So it's like, you know, you're coaching, you're coaching Choo Choo from Korea and they have their own thoughts that he grew up with. You're just not going to change, you know, his whole history in two weeks. So if you believe in the 10,000 hour rule, which I do, if the kid's been doing it, by the time we get him, he's been doing it for 10,000 to be able to make this overhaul switch. It's going to take another 10. But he's going to be 35. He's going to be out. So you have to work to refine the things that they don't do well. And I've also seen, like, you know, even you know, coming as a coach, I think you're going to fix everybody. Like my first year in Jamestown, short season, you don't want to lose a player's strength ever. So it's such a balance of keeping your strength. Because sometimes guys who, who will really pull the ball and I'm like, hey, we need you to go apple more. And then he comes in next year and he can't pull anything. Or that's what yeah that's what that's what happened yeah. to me and you know from eighteen to nineteen or from eight and eighteen was you know tried to try to be a different guy and handle a pitch I'd never handled before in my career lost the ability to hit the ones that I really hit well and before you know it you can't do anything it's so hard to hit with a clear mind if there's any clutter or self doubt on what you're working on it's not going to work like I'm like just just here's some things let's try a couple of things. You, you, I will never be offended. Like I always tell you guys, I'm never offended because we're all on the bus together. So I'll never be offended. I don't want somebody to be super coachable because then they're just agreeing with you because they don't want to hurt your, your feelings, which is crazy because this is a coaching player in a sport. So, you know, I don't want a player who's just yesing his head every time. I've told players in the minor leagues, like, dude, you're too coachable, man. Like I just made up something. You agree with me and it will never work. <laughs> you know? 
I hate the, I hate the term coachable. Yeah. Like, God, he's not he's not coachable. He doesn't listen. I got that one in college. It's like, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. I believe in what I'm doing. And so there's a difference between having confidence in yourself and believing in yourself and not being coachable. Those are the best players, aren't they? Those are the guys Those that make guys. it. And the guys, the guys that'll look a coach in the face. Now, this is not good for kids to listen to, sure. I guess. But the guys that are are good players that are so confident in themselves that'll look a coach in the face and and just nod and smile and say, "I'm not doing that." There's no way. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I never get offended by it because I'm not the one going out there. It's your career. Yeah, it's your career. Speaking of the bus, is the bus still around? Bus post gave it to the pitchers. Where is it? I, I opened it up to the pitchers, so you know it would just go around everybody. I don't even know where it is. Somebody's got it. I. I, the last time I saw it, uh, I thought it was only a hitter thing. Well, we opened it up, post opened it up oh, to the full boy. team because we want everybody to get on the bus. Yeah. Everybody's got to be on the bus. You can't really trust pitchers, but uh, I saw Rex Brothers had it and they were passing around through the pitchers. Um, we we should probably check on. I was thinking about well, that yesterday. We should probably check on the. bus. I got it because I kept seeing it in the bullpen like three days in a row, and I said, "Hey guys, this isn't this like come up with your own thing. This is like a team thing." Um, we opened it up for you guys because of the bus T-shirts that they all got. The whole team and everybody, anybody on that ground floor, whether you're a trainer or you're the nutritionist or you're the strength guys, like anybody on that ground floor knows what's going on down there every day of trying to work and do your thing. So, and then CY brought it to me, and then I put it in KB's locker in Kansas City. Um, and then I, you know, I don't know what he did with it. I hope the bus isn't still in Kansas City. Post Post got his first T-shirt. He's on a T-shirt yeah, now. Yeah. He feels really good yeah, about I it. I feel really good about it. Like I almost, I, like it was almost like when Danny Scalzo gave me the Jordans on opening day. Yeah, you almost start, cool. you almost start crying because you're just like you don't, you don't know. And then I saw the T-shirts. And Rizzo comes in. He's like, I want to, I want to personally give it to you. You know, I'm in, you know, man, I'm the best four seam flipper in the game, so I'm locked in. And he comes walking in. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's a nice shirt. I'm, is that me? <laughs> I didn't realize that. that must be happy hitting coach grasshopper days. Is it has you on it? His face is on it. Yeah, it's got me on. My wife started crying because when we were at home in the winter and I told her to go on Amazon and find the bus and then she put the stickers on at the W bus. Um, she got really emotional. She's like, wow, this little this thing that you've been talking about all winter is like you know, starting. And now, you know, with the Joe Obvious and the obvious t shirts doing his thing with it. Um just putting it out there now, so it's pretty cool. Shout out obvious shirts. That uh, that bus, yeah, that was an idea from from your brain from the winter. It wasn't like COVID ball sixty no. game. That was way before. You know, Ian, it's actually like a it's like a ten year thing. You know, I always envision of writing a book called The Road or the Journey, like because of twenty years in the minor leagues, playing and coaching, and having these cartoon characters with all these different cities flags. You know, been through every minor league league um, in baseball, including one independent league. So. That was always in the back of my mind. And then when I read the energy boss, I was like, whoa, like that was about 10 years ago. I was like, just combine us. But you were waiting, waiting for the right group of guys for me once I, you know, it wasn't a coordinated thing. Um, but knowing this group and how close they are and in the next couple of years, what may happen, I thought, thought that would be something like, you know, everybody's like, just get, get on the bus. This is, you know, this is for you guys. You know, I I really enjoy in the dugout when there's a, a three two count or a big moment, and you just hear throughout the dugout just random people going. Yeah, Sue's is the big one. He yells it. He yells it. I, I like the random bus text, and I, especially like on our, our hitters thing, we'll mess around put put bus text on there. But I'll just get one from 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 a player, and it'll just be a bus. No words. Dakota, do you want to address the is that so T shirt? 
that's been under the jersey. Oh, yeah, we yeah. did hear about that the first series when it was well that was I don't know how it's been going lately, but you said it was like the first game of the year he wore it one and then you he didn't wear it the next day you lost. And then we said it on the we said it on the podcast. He put it back on. We went on a tear. We've lost three in a row. Maybe he, I just put a who says no t-shirt on his uh <laughs> on his chair a couple days ago. Maybe we're gonna have to I meant to wear it, for, but I got flustered with the iPad and stuff, and I forgot to put it on. It's right here. Maybe that maybe that needs to go under the yeah. uh, under the. I jersey. touched it today, and then you know how you know how baseball is. I touched it, and I was yeah. like, eh, and I went back to. <laughs> so is that so? That's so. so. Tough games. It wasn't like we got some games. Tough game, extra inning game. Anything could have happened these three days. So it was. You, actually, you maybe the wrong outcome with the shirt, though. You might have went from the the W to you went to the wrong shirt. You know, I think it's actually better sometimes if you just absolutely get shellacked. If you just get your ass kicked, it's much easier to move on from than you lose like an extra inning or a one run game, yeah. and you're like, yeah, because ah. you probably put every play every scenario. If I just did this, the inning would have been different. If I would have did this, that inning would have been different for sure. Because it's small parts throughout the game that change the course of the game that nobody even understands. Yeah, and then you go you go back home motherfucking yourself or something that nobody else is thinking about but you. That's the best part of baseball. The best part of baseball is you're the only guy thinking about that one thing, but you think everybody else is thinking exactly what you're thinking. You and Post, <laughs> I know, it's crazy. You're like, oh my God, this guy hates me. Yeah, you're like, you're like I, knew I knew I shouldn't have taken that one step that way, and everybody's thinking about that one step that I took. Nobody knows that you took a step. Nobody gives a fuck. Everybody's thinking about their own step that they I know, took. I know. Oh, boy. What a game. That was hitting coach, Cubs hitting coach, Anthony Iposi. Post is the best out there. Just a wonderful, wonderful human. I can't wait to give him a bottle of Parse rum. I'm really excited. I feel like he's really good. I mean, I obviously have no clue because I'm not a hitter. But I feel like he's great at keeping things light. And that's one of like the bigger things you have to do with hitters. Because like you guys talked about, I feel like it gets really frustrating getting in slumps. Like pitchers will get in slumps too. But typically by the time our slumps are over, we're down in the minors again. So... <laughs> Hitters wise, like you'll have Chris Bryant or Javi or you or anybody go like, I mean, everyone does it like 0 for 20 stretch. And it's like, how do I get this guy back to being how good he can be? It's got to be hard to have like to be the hitting coordinator, pitching coach, whatever, or hitting coach when you have so many big names on your team and your your expectations are so high. You're dealing with you're dealing with so many personalities and like he said, people from different backgrounds from all over the world. And you're dealing with what every is the hitting coach, you deal with what every person is going through in their life. It's not just what's happening at the field that day. It's not just the one for twenty, because in the course of one sixty two, every single player is gonna go one for twenty at least once, if not five times. And it's like what's going on at home, what's happening with your family, your friends, like what other stuff are you bringing to the field that day? Like are you not playing? Are you worried about not playing or you, did you get benched and you don't know why like all those little things uh come into play and they come into the cage first and i think that's why i think the hitting coach has the toughest job because they're dealing with all of that and i think the best hitting coaches don't talk mechanics they talk about the thought process they talk about you know staying confident what it means to like believe in yourself and that's that's why i love post because he's just he's so good at that i think two things too like like you said, like each hitter's different to like one guy, like you said, 
what'd you say? You said you want to talk um, the thought process, not mechanics. Yeah. And then maybe like, I don't know, maybe Rizzo likes to talk mechanics. You know what I mean? Like you kind of have to know every guy and what works for that guy and what doesn't work. That is a hundred percent true. Everybody does. Everybody has something a little different. You have to know everybody's routine and what makes them go. It's oof. It sounds like an absolute grind to get 35, 40 at bat today. I feel like it's also a super thankless job. Like if yeah. everyone's raking, yep. it's like, oh, KB's hot. Oh, he's yep. not like, oh, hobby. But if everyone's cold, it's like, what is Anthony Iaposi not doing to fix these guys' swings? Like he yep. needs yeah. Like, or like you're not getting you're not getting the guy in from second as a team, or like there's not enough two at RBIs. Like, yeah, people are upset with the hitters, but it's like with the hitting coach, it's like, why is our team approach not good? It's, it's like, crazy. Like, it's, the box. You know, it's every coach really, but they're like, if your team's struggling, it's like, damn, he's struggling. He looks in the mirror, he's like, Oh shit, that's my job. He's like, I'm struggling. Can we talk about the seven inning oh, double my lord. Yes, funny, and I'd love nothing more than to talk about the seven inning double headers with you. How, how greater how great are seven inning doubleheaders? I love them. I love, but you know me, just love the game. I, I didn't mind two nines even. I, I get in this season, two nines doesn't make sense. And like position. Two nines players, is a lot of base. I mean, position players, it's completely different than for pitchers, but two sevens is fun. It's going to make the game so interesting. Yeah. Like you two have. Two sevens if, flies. Like if your starter, like Hendricks has very good chance of going all seven in game one tomorrow. And then whoever throws in game two could only like you could use like a, a bullpen day for seven innings. Like it's easy to go bullpen, start with like a long guy to go three, and then just like mix and match from there. It makes right. it a lot. You could burning through a whole pen through nine. Right. If you get in a jam in the third inning, you bring your closer and get out of it. Finish that inning, and maybe the next one it's the fifth inning already, and you're like, oh, if we have the lead, you know, we bring in our second second best pen guy and the game's over yeah and and from i i have this theory that the reason why like when you look at softball averages like they're so high is because when you play six innings or seven innings you're probably not getting five at bats you're probably getting three or four and so once you have a walk that day or you have one knock oh. like you've already you've already had a great day playing two sevens is Awesome, because you get those three, four bats. You go one for three. You go one for three with a walk. Or two for three with a walk. You've just had a wonderful day. You don't ever have to get the fifth one. The other thing is too, it's a pretty good chance everyone gets to play. Everybody has to play. Keep that fresh. Get everybody in there. Give them some abs. Let's do the screen times. Let the screen times ride. Dakota, have you finished your parse yet? I finished my parse yet. You know, I finished my parse like months ago. I finish it within a week every time you give me one. Are you saying every you, time you get one? Huh? Are you saying you multiple times? You're saying. I've gotten it from toys. Huh. I, uh, um, I I have some I have some parsley here at the here at the apartment to give to our guests. Maybe we can put that in your package of things that you are sitting here waiting for you. My screen time is five hours and eight minutes. I used it to watch golf earlier because if I do too much on my Wi-Fi, it'll lag. I know an excuse, but that's pretty much why. Zach, five twenty. <laughs> Come on, See? I'm at I'm at two sixteen. Honestly, Gary, you played a game. That's the thing. Two sixteen is actually high because think you played a what two o'clock game today Eastern time. You were at the park at four hours before. I got to the park at ten today for the one twenty start. So yeah, you're there three hours before, three hours for the game, another hour after. So you're knocking out like seven hours of the day. You couldn't even be on your phone. So really, I'm gonna double it every time you tell me something. So you're somewhere in the four range. Is that so? That Just. Is- just just so everybody listening knows, the three Is That So winners will be contacted. I will reach out. I will contact them. The Who Says No shirts are already in the mail to the winners. 
Um, thanks for everybody that participated in that. Like, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Go get a bottle of Parse rum. This episode of The Compound is sponsored by Parse rum. They're the best sponsor out there. We're going to get Dakota another bottle. Dakota, tell people what they have to do. You just said it. They have to like, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. I, my favorite tweet ever we've gotten still so far is the guy that actually had a broken thumb. And he told us it's because he was like subscribing, unsubscribing, and resubscribing. I want those thumbs broken. And I want everyone's thumbs broken. That's episode 25 of the Compound Podcast presented by Parse Rum. Definitely not 100% not come to you live from The Compound.